0: Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. We are on this series called How to Have a Healthy family. And so we have this word perfect crossed out. And what we often think, and maybe we don't say it, but we live it, that perfection is a goal in our life. And social media hasn't helped this. But the goal in scripture never says anything about perfection. It does talk a lot about healthy. And when we're in this series, we're not talking about just couples, just mom and dad or husband and wife. We're talking about the whole family unit. Uh, today, we're going to talk about fighting fair in a minute. We'll, we'll go into that. But it's not just moms and dads or husbands and wives that fights. It's siblings. Can I get an amen? amen. It's aunts, uncles. It's all con- there's, there's conflict everywhere. And so here's, here's where we're going in this series. You saw it on the bumper. Uh, each week, we're gonna unpack a myth and then share a biblical truth. The, the myth for today is perfect families don't fight. And the truth is he- healthy families fight fair. Myth two we'll talk about next week is perfect families don't mess up. The truth is healthy families walk and grace. Myth number three is perfect families do it all. And the truth is healthy families have boundaries. So today we're going to look at this idea of fighting fair. And just so you know, I take what I do and say very serious. So I did some research the past month. I started a fight with every person in my family <laughs> just to make sure I delivered you something relevant. And if you don't believe me, ask my family. They didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. They just thought it was another month. (laughs) My wife's name is TJ, and TJ and I's relationship was founded on fighting. I don't know how your relationship was founded. Ours was founded on fighting. Shortly uh, after we began dating, we got into the biggest, ugliest, loudest, messy food fight you could ever imagine. And I don't know why we thought this was a good idea. We were in the kitchen. I don't know what, what started it. My guess is her. And so I don't really know. She probably said something bad about the Orlando magic, and I just reacted. And so, so some, one thing led to another, and all of a sudden there was chocolate syrup being tossed. Then there was fruit being tossed. And then there was whipped cream. And then there was uh, peanut butter. There was all kinds of stuff. And what I need you to help me with, what I, I want you to do to bless me with is I need you to help decide who you think won that fight. Now here's a photo of us. Now listen, I already know you're distracted. Listen, I'm not asking for you to judge this or this. That's not, I need you to stay focused, okay? What I'm asking you to pay attention to is this right here, okay, you're the jury, that's evidence. This right here, this right here, Look at that stone-cold look, I've been getting that for years, that is. And then, and then really, I just got a little bit here, maybe some peanut butter here. So how many of y'all think my wife won? How many of you think my wife won? Okay, Ain't nobody asked y'all. Okay, how many, how many think I won? This ain't soccer, there's no ties. Lake County and everybody online, if you, if you couldn't tell, everybody clearly said that I won. And so, TJ, sorry. Some would say that it was love at first fight. And to my wife, I just want you to know that there's nobody on this planet that I'd rather fight than you. So that was at the beginning of the relationship where the fights were fun. And then the fights after we got married got... Real. Maybe it's just me, maybe y'all don't have real fights, We, we have and we sometimes do. And I remember when we bought our first house, we were so excited, we were young, couldn't believe that we can actually buy a first house. We were pregnant with our second child, and my wife says to me one day, hey, I think we should paint our living room purple. Now listen, if you have a purple living room, that's great, more power to you, whatever but my wife doesn't like purple. She doesn't own anything purple. Purple is not my thing. So I was surprised when she comes to me and says, Hey, I think we, and the we is, I think you should paint the living room purple. And I don't remember all the details, but I was probably incredibly grace-filled, compassionate, patient. Listen, I didn't get a lot of advice before we got married, but one of the things I wish somebody would have told me is don't argue with a pregnant woman. I just think somebody should have told me that. And so I tried arguing with a pregnant woman. Like, listen, you don't like purple. We don't like purple. Nobody in the neighborhood likes purple. Nobody wants a purple living room. We're not going to paint it purple. How many of you think I eventually painted it purple? You would be correct. And some of y'all are like, oh, you're so sweet. What a, what a husband to serve, to paint the living room purple. Let me tell you, I painted the living room purple. I didn't say I liked it. And I promise you, I made her life miserable just to get that to that decision. And I, I can't remember all the details, but just knowing me, I guarantee almost every time we ever had anybody over, I brought up, hey, this wasn't my choice, it was hers. And then... And then we had our second child. And shortly afterwards, we're in the living room and my wife looks over at me. She goes, why in the world is our living room purple? (laughs) Are you kidding me? So of course we painted it again. She won the battle, I won the war. Here's what I learned at the very beginning and that sounds humorous, but I promise you at the time it was not is I learned early on that there are healthy ways and there are unhealthy ways to resolve or grow conflict in a relationship. And I wish I could stand up here and give you story after story of a perfect pastor that always got it right. But the truth is um, I'm learning as I go and I am saved both in salvation and my marriage by God's kindness and grace. Dr. John Gottman studied marriages for over 40 years. Well, before we get that, I do want, just for the record, I just want everybody to know, this is not to score points, but maybe it will, that I do love my wife. And she is absolutely incredibly patient and kind to deal with a knucklehead like me, that one clearly had identity issues from day one. I mean, the way, I mean, you could see that and all kinds of issues, but I love my wife and she's absolutely incredible, very patient. Dr. John Gottman studied marriages for over 40 years And he says he can be at a restaurant and overhear another couple trying to deal with their conflict. And he said within 15 minutes, he can determine if they're going to end up in divorce or not, up to an 83% rate. After studying marriage for 40 years. And this is what he said. He said, "It's it's not if we fight, it's how they fight. He says, a lot of people think it's if. No, no, it's how do people fight? He went on to say this. Many couples claim we never fight is a sign of marital health. He said, but I believe we grow in our relationships by reconciling our differences. That's how we become more loving people and truly experience the fruits of marriage. So I wanna illustrate it with this. I got, I got y'all's interest, what's under here, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna start right here. This is my piggy bank, Okay. I want you to understand, We're gonna give you an analogy, that every, every relationship that we have, every relationship you have is like a piggy bank or a savings account or a checking account, a bank account. Every single relationship you have. You see, the way that this works is if I want money, I go to the piggy bank and I get money, if and only if I already put money in it. If I didn't put any money in here, I can't get any money out, right? And so I have to make deposits if I am going to make withdrawals and every relationship, whether you know it or not, whether you try to or not, you always make withdrawals. You don't have to make withdrawals. You just automatically disappoint people on accident, sometimes on purpose. We disappoint each other, meaning we are always taking withdrawals. The problem is if we're constantly making withdrawals and we've not really made deposits. And what so many of us want is a million dollar withdrawal and we're putting pennies in as deposits. And that's when the relationship goes bankrupt. And some of us, before we get into fighting, I would just say we can avoid a lot of fighting if we would just make the proper deposits in our relationships. And this relationship's in anything, but especially in the family. Dr. Gary Chapman, he talks about this idea of deposits. He says this idea through what he calls the five Love languages. Maybe some of y'all have heard this. And what I want to encourage you is I'm going to, we could do an entire series. I'm just going to blow by this. The idea of the five love languages is this. I might serve my kids. I might serve my spouse. I might try to make deposits. But a lot of times what we do is we make deposits that we think are good for us without realizing what is best for them. And so we think we're putting in a deposit of a dollar, but it's only getting a 10 cent return because they didn't really, it didn't connect with them in that way. So here are the five acts, or here are the five love languages, and I want you to think about these, and then I want us to think about what does that look like in our family dynamic. So here's number one, acts of service. This is about actions speaking louder than words and the form of serving. That's the first one. Second one is this, receiving gifts. Receiving a heartfelt gift is what makes them feel loved most. Number three, quality time. This is about giving the other person your undivided attention. Number four, words of affirmation. This is about using your words to affirm others. Number five, physical touch. To this person, nothing speaks more deeply than appropriate physical touch. So here's your homework. I want you to go home if you don't already and understand the dynamics of everybody in your family. What is their love language? That way, when you're making deposits, you can actually make a huge deposit that may not even be huge to you, but it's huge to them because it landed for what they wanted and desired and needed. It's the way God wired them. You can't change it. It's just the way that God has wired all of us. I love what Galatians 6, 7 says. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. If we don't make deposits, if we don't make deposits, we will not be able to make withdrawals. And we already know that every day we wake up, we're making withdrawals, whether we try to or not, which means we have to intentionally play offense and put deposits in every single day into our families. So with that said, let's get ready to rumble. Here are three rules. Three rules to fighting fair, okay? Before we get into those rules, rules for the series. There will be no elbowing, no pointing fingers, no tagging your your spouse on Facebook on the message to say, watch this in all caps, okay? If you don't know what elbowing means, it means like when there's a point, you're just like, hey, listen, this is good. This is good. Rule number one, listen to understand, not to reload. Listen, when there's conflict, listen to understand not to reload. You know what a reloader is, right? Y'all know what a re- some of you may not be a reloader or may not know it because you are a reloader. Let me explain what a reloader is. The other person is trying to talk to you and instead of listening to them to try to understand, you are processing and reloading everything you're about to blast off with them. So the moment that they simply take a breath and there's a millisecond for you to say something, you just blast off whatever it is you've been loading. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, hang tight. Online, Lake County, I don't know what's going on there. Um, In this series, we're gonna have to have some real talk, okay? So I need, we all struggle with conflict. So don't act like you ain't there, all right? So if you are a reloader, okay, I want you to listen, to learn, not to reload. This is what Proverbs 18.2 says, fools find no pleasure. And understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Don't elbow. <laughs> There's a lot of temptation right now. James one nineteen, everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Here's a little listening exercise. It may sound a little uh, foreign, but I promise you, it works. When you are in conflict. Re- Repeat to the other person what it is you think they are trying to tell you. For example, when my wife and I, I'll give you an example for something, you know, just this week. I might say there's a conflict, and I would say, Hey, it sounds like because I'm so attractive, I'm distracting you from doing your chores around the house. Is that accurate? And she would say, No, that's not what I said at all. What I said is, you don't seem to listen to me. And then I would repeat back to her, it seems like you don't think I listen to you. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that is what I am saying. It has a way of de-escalating when you simply say, are you saying this? Okay, now when the person asked that, the other person shouldn't get upset and yell at them, what a moron, I never said anything about you being attractive. Where did you get that? Instead, take what they're trying to do as a sign of peace and meet them where they're at and go, no, that's not what I said. What I did say is boom, boom, boom. Great exercise that can help you learn to uh, dissolve conflict. One of the ways that we can become better listeners is to genuinely take value in the other person. When you genuinely value them, you actually wanna listen to them. And, And because of that, For those, and this is where I I would say out of all this, this is probably my biggest struggle. For those of us that struggle listening, what it tells the other person is, I don't value you as much as I value myself. What I don't, I don't value what you have to say as much as I value what I think needs to be said right now. And it comes across very, very condescending. So rule number one, listen to understand, not to reload. Rule number two, talk to help, not to hurt. Talk to help, not to hurt. Ephesians 429 says this, I added this. So this is the verse, I added this, but I think it works great. When arguing, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Imagine putting when arguing in front of this. Because the verse isn't circumstantial, it's always So that means when we are arguing, we shouldn't have any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You see, every time that you and I have conflict, every single time, we have two different things that we can grab. We have two different objects that we can grab. The first one is we can grab a a can of gas. I love it. All my pyros in here. All right. This is my people. I just bring this out. Everybody got excited. Don't do it. Listen, I'm not lighting anything on fire right now, okay? So every time we have conflict, you can bust out the can of gas. And what this does is gas makes fires bigger. Gas makes fires out of control. Gas blows things up. Gas is not helpful to putting out a fire. Here's some examples of gas. You're a deadbeat husband. How is that helpful during a conflict? So instead of dealing with the situation, now you're characterizing the whole thing and now you're also name calling. That's pouring gas. It's not helpful. You never do anything right. So now you're making absolutes. Instead of making about this one thing, it's absolutes. You never do anything right. That's, That's not true and that's a lie. At some point, they did something right. If they were smart, they would say, well, I chose you. Are you saying that's wrong? But we, never mind. I'm not going to give you ammo. I'm not going to give you ammo. Listen, I, I got some experience in this category. All right, here we go. You're the worst mother ever. Isn't that what we can do during arguments? Right where they are most vulnerable and sensitive, we could attack that. You're the worst mother ever. What well, they cherish the most. And what are we doing? We're making it bigger. And then some of us are like, well, it's not what I meant when I'm angry. I just do this. No, 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 no. We can't take back the words we say. And so you get to choose when you have conflict are you bringing out a can of gasoline or another op- opportunity would be a bucket of water. So you have two options when you have conflict. You could either bring out a bucket of water or you could bring out a can of gas. And listen, it doesn't matter who's at fault. It doesn't matter who started it. It doesn't matter anything. Both sides have the opportunity to pick one or the other, both sides, at all the times. Uh, uh, some examples of a bucket of water are, are this. You forgot to take out the trash the past two weeks. Can you please try to remember to do that for me? Well, that, that's a very accurate statement. It's specific. It's the trash, it's clearly not name calling, it's not characterizing, hey, you did this and, and, and I would like you to kind of help in this area. Another one would be this, I know you had a stressful week this week, but you really hurt me when you spoke to me rudely at dinner. So now I'm taking that person's uh, feelings into care. I'm acknowledging they've had a stressful week. However, when you said this, it made me feel like this. That's, that's an example of this. I'm not saying water is to ignore. I'm not saying water is to not deal with it. I'm saying there are always things that you could say or do to make things either better better or worse when there's conflict. Here are some things I wanna encourage you to never ever do. These are the never evers, okay? Never ever. Never ever call names, ever. Never ever call names. Don't call names, don't name call. Can I just tell you like, not only is this not helpful, it's very immature, Like, it's like middle school, elementary level when we name call. But because we are being defensive and want to attack, we name call. And sometimes we'll name call the people that we know we both mutually don't like and maybe drop their name. You're just like so-and-so. What? That person's crazy. (laughs) Never ever name call. Never raise your voice. Never raise your voice. You know what raising your voice does? Just pours it out. Just makes the fire bigger. Because when you raise their voice, if they want to be heard, what do they have to do? They have to raise their voice. And now they've raised their voice. And what does that mean? You have to raise your voice. And it just goes back and forth. It's beautiful when we study Jesus, no matter what circumstance he was in, I can't ever hear him raising his voice when I read the scriptures. There's always a a peace and a trust and that he he is trying to bring peace, not win an argument. Never, ever say always. Never, ever say always or never. You always do that. You never help. You're never gonna change. You all, whatever, never say never, never say always. Never threaten divorce. Never thre- don't weaponize divorce. My wife and I got married. The pastor that married us, we had premarital counseling, and he, we met him one day, and he gave us a dictionary. And he turned to the word divorce in the dictionary, and he ripped it out of the dictionary, and he handed it back to us. And he said, divorce isn't even in your vocabulary. You see, if you think and start talking about divorce, it's so many more steps easier to actually make it happen. If you're an athlete and you're running and training and you just think about quitting, you're already done. The moment you think about quitting as an athlete, you're done. You can't even let it enter your mind. And so for us, we don't, we don't entertain the idea of divorce because I think one of the most beautiful parts about marriage is the fact that no matter what, I have somebody that's committed to being with me tomorrow, no matter what kind of knucklehead I am today. And that is beautiful to know that I have somebody and that she has somebody that we are committed to for the rest of our lives, no matter what. That's intimacy that only a marriage can provide. Here's two good questions asked during conflict. One, should it be said? And two, should it be said now? Should it be said? And two, should it be said now? Just because it should be said doesn't mean it should be said in the middle of a conflict. James 119 again says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to speak. All right, rule number three. Y'all with me? All right, here we go. Rule number three, resolve your conflict today or suffer more tomorrow. Resolve your conflict today or suffer more tomorrow. You see, we have this belief that if we just uh, ignore it or bury it, that it'll just magically go away. Or, or some people uh, will, will say, hey, I know they hurt me, but I'm just going to move on. And you actually think that's a good thing. But you're not moving on with forgiveness. You're moving on with bitterness, and that's actually gonna compound. It doesn't get better over time. It gets worse. It snowballs. And your heart gets harder, not softer. And so don't think just ignoring it. It always gets worse as it goes on. Ephesians 4.26 says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. There was a couple that was fighting, and after several days of fighting, they didn't resolve it. And so they started giving each other the silent treatment. I don't know if y'all do this in your house, but they started giving each other the silent treatment. And, and a couple of days go by and more and more. And all of a sudden, the, the husband has to get ready for a business trip. He's, he's supposed to wake up at 4.45 a.m. the next day. But normally, the wife is the one that wakes him up for his trips. The alarm clock was on her side of the bed. And so him not wanting to break the silence writes her a note. I have a meeting tomorrow. I have to be woken up at 4.45, wake me up. Okay, puts it on her nightstand. She sees it. Next day, 9 a.m., he gets up. He's so angry, he panics. He misses his flight, gets out of bed, ready to yell at his wife, and there's a sticky note on his nightstand. And it says, it's 4.45, time to wake up. That's funny. Listen, the silent treatment never works. It never works. If you never go to bed angry, then you always wake up with a smile. Listen, if you don't ever go to bed angry, then there's only good news to wake up for the next day. I'm not saying this is easy, but I am saying it's possible. And if it's possible, then go after it. Nobody said marriages. Nobody said families. Nobody said any of that is easy. But if it's possible, then that should be the goal. Go after that. Here's one way to resolve conflict, to kind of grab a water bottle. A cheat sheet in this is to pray for that person. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your spouse. Pray for them. Because here's what cannot happen. You cannot pray for somebody and at the same time harbor bitterness toward them. You can't do it. Try it. You cannot do it. I cannot pray that God blesses my wife and think that he's not going to be the, use me to be the one that actually does it. When I pray for my kids, it makes me move towards them with grace and love. When I pray for my parents, when I pray for my... So a cheat sheet to this is to pray for them. But when I say pray for them, I don't want you to do what a guy named Jaron, and he has a band called Jaron and the Long Road to Love. This is what he... It's a country song, And he says that he went to church and he heard the pastor say to pray for his wife. So this is what he prays. I'm just quoting. Don't blame me. He says, I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when the engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. (laughs) That is not what I'm talking about. I just need to clarify. Some of you country fans out there, you may know that's not how I'm asking you to pray for your family. That is the opposite of what I'm praying for. I want to give you a real specific uh, example of one of the rules that we've adopted, maybe it's helpful. It's been very helpful for us. Let's just say that um, I ha- one of the things I do is I do the, the dishes. And let's just say I hadn't done the dishes in several nights and my wife comes up to me and says, hey, you haven't done the dishes the, the past you know, three or four nights and it's made me go to bed later. And is there any way you could just do the dishes that you're putting that on me? So here's the, here's, here's the conflict. The conflict is I'm not doing the dishes. But here's what I know about her. I know that my wife is not perfect, and so I have one or two options. I can either l- listen to what she said, because she's right. I didn't do the dishes three or four. I can either listen and say, hey, you're right, that's my bad. I'll do the dishes, and uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Genuinely apologize like I care about her and not blow her off. That's, the conflict will be over. Or because I know everything about her, I know every sin she's ever made, This is what we're tempted to do. What do you mean me do the dishes? You haven't taken the trash out in like four weeks. What do you mean do the dishes? Weren't you late to picking up so-and-so after school? What do you mean? None of that has to do with me doing the dishes. The conflict is me doing the dishes, and that's what we have agreed in our family. We deal with one conflict at a time a day. That's all we can handle. You're better than me. Maybe it's more. So we handle one because what we want to do in the middle of a conflict is say, oh, you're this. Well, the reason I didn't do dishes is because of you, 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 this, 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 and this. And this is how you hurt me. And we say that's off limits. Whoever brings the problem up first, they get the attention and we deal with that problem. If you have a problem, then you should have brought it up. Let me just tell you, when you operate like that, it takes out 99% of the problems. And so we are not allowed to say, well, you, you brought that up. Well, I'm gonna bring this up or say, and the reason we say a day is because we're not gonna say, we're not gonna pretend like this argument's over and wait 30 minutes. Okay, now it's my time. <laughs> you know, we can just apologize to get to your thing. No, 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 genuinely deal with it. Because all of us have sin. Just because I forgot to do the dishes doesn't mean it's my turn to bring up all of her mess because why? It's not helpful. It's not helpful to building others up and it's not going to resolve conflict, and it will only make things worse. That's it. It will not make things better. It is a form of self-protection, and in a family unit, it's not about self-protection. It's self-sacrifice. It's love. It's giving, not protecting, not fighting for your own. Well, won't I be taken advantage of? Maybe. When I look at Jesus, I think he was taken advantage of to the point of the cross. Now, listen, in this whole thing, I meant to share this at the beginning. None of this, when we're using the words fight fair, this has nothing to do with anything that has to do with abuse or anything like that. This is, that's, that's totally a different conversation that you need totally different circumstances to get help. That's not what this is about when I say being taken advantage of. I just think we self-fight so much that that's half the problem. Instead of just say, you know what? Why not be wrong? Let me serve. Even if I'm wrong, it's in the name of Jesus to serve my kids, my spouse. One of the worst things you and I can do in a conflict, if not the worst thing, is to lose hope. To lose hope in a child it's the worst thing you could do. To think they're never going to come around just because you've dealt with them for five, 10, 40, 50 years in a child. To lose hope in a parent just because they've done something for so long, you just lost it. They're never going to change. They're never going to. To lose hope in a spouse. You see, you and I, because we are Christians, we are hope dealers. That's our business. Everything we do exists in Hope. That's what last week was all about. Because of the resurrection, there is hope. You see, God loves to bring dead things to life and that includes families. He loves to bring dead relationships back to life. He loves to bring dead marriages back to life. Don't ever lose hope. Don't ever lose hope. Don't ever lose hope. Whenever we see families, this is just my observations, we see two groups of families come for help. And there's one group of family that comes for help because they have family conflict. And, and typically the person that made the phone call, they come and they wanna help us deal with somebody else in their family. So they, they come to talk about them or they bring them in, hey, here's the problem, will you fix them? That almost never works. The other type of family that comes in is they come in and they, they take ownership and they say, hey, I am this would you help me figure out how to be a better husband? Clearly something's not working. I, I can't figure, would you please help me how to have a better relationship with my mom or dad or with them? Or, and when you take ownership of your actions, just from my observation, this one always wins. And when you deflect on, hey, we need to get help for you, it rarely works out, just from my observation. So may we take ownership. I got to hang out with somebody this past week that is, that is in the process of, of just working on some things. And I absolutely loved everything my friend said. He said, listen, I, I, I'm the one that's a mess right now. I'm the one that needs help. It's not them, it's me. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes. And I was able to be able to say, hey, listen, because of your ownership, I can, I can just see their hope in this, in this family. There's so much hope when we take personal ownership. So this is what I wanna do. I wanna leave you with three things to do, three really quick things to do this week. One, decide to be a family that fights fair. Decide to be a family that fights fair. Two, adopt some fighting rules of your own. You can either take these or come up some rules. It's so good when everybody knows what the rules are. Don't just assume everybody in your family knows the rules. Come up with the rules. Let the kids in on it. Bring everybody together. What are some rules? What do you like? What do you not like? Have some healthy conversation about that. And then the next thing on how to have a healthy family is come back next week. We're gonna continue this com- This is not a one-time conversation about how to, have, how, how to have a healthy family. It's an ongoing conversation. And our heart is that you never, ever think that perfection in your family is a goal, but progress is the goal. That we are better tomorrow than we were yesterday. It's not perfection, it's health. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that on my worst days, when I am a knucklehead to my wife, when I am a knucklehead to my kids, when I am more self-protecting than self-giving, you and your kindness, you and your grace, you see me at my worst and you love me the most. And God, my only response to the kind of love you give me could and should be to love those closest to me the same. So would you help me? Would you help us? in this room, online at Lake County, God, would you help us to love like you loved? Would you help us to listen and to speak words of hope and encouragement? Would you help us to deal with conflict today? I pray for the family that's right here, right now, they're dealing with something heavy and big. And God, I pray for kindness and compassion and grace on their marriage, on their relationship with their kids, their parents, whatever is not healthy. God, I pray that there would be hope and forgiveness and healing and honesty and ownership in that home. I pray for peace and joy and love and laughter to be in the homes. God, I pray as families are sitting together, I pray that as they go to lunch and dinner tonight, would we adapt and adopt some uh, some family rules that we can learn to fight fair? The greatest gift you've given us is family. And sometimes the biggest heartache we have is family. Would you help us as believers to navigate that in a healthy way? So Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.